Welcome to the Waggle Dance Podcast. Three guys, Duncan, Dave and Andy. A preacher, a leader and a designer who want to explore ways to live life with a little less friction. A hive of conversation waxing lyrical on faith, family and friendship. Welcome to the Waggle Dance Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome along. It's great to have you with us again on the Waggle Dance Podcast. I'm here again with Duncan and with Andy and we're looking forward to another uh, hour or so of just chatting and uh, and yeah, just exploring a different topic. So thanks for making it to the second one. We had some great feedback from uh, episode one. Um, Andy's wife, Andrea, she even enjoyed it apparently and some of her friends are, are listening in. So, uh, so hi, Andrea's friends. Great to have you along and listening. So to when, you, so, when you say we've had some great feedback, Andy's wife, that's the great feedback we've had. It was still great feedback. It doesn't matter <laughs> where it's from, Duncan. We'll just take it from any source. We're just happy. I th- to I, honestly, I, I thought you were going to say, you know, it's the review in the Times was fantastic and the East Anglian um, Daily Times was just sublime. But no, yeah. just Andy's wife it was, was good. A, well, it was the Stuart Times. It was in the Stuart yeah. Times. So, uh, so we'll take we'll take that. We'll take that. So, um, so what are we talking about then, Duncan? What's what's this episode all about? Remind us. So, this whole season we've entitled the Waddle Dance Podcast um, the One Thing You Need to Know About. Episode one, it was the One Thing You Need to Know About Friendship. And if you haven't picked that up, honestly, go back and listen to that because it was it was fun, but it was also really, I mean, quite profound at times. Um, so I really enjoyed that. But this this episode, we're looking at the one thing you need to know about how to be a great boss. Um, so I know, Dave, you're a boss because you have how many employees in your company? Yeah, it's about it's about 450. Ah, wow, that's quite a thing. Um, and, and Andy, uh, in terms of your bossing, your leadership, how many people do you boss? Yeah, um, well, I just about the one actually, um, and he's four-legged and called Popcorn. But but even he doesn't do as he's told. Um, I'm the boss of one. Well, I've worked independently for for years. Um, so my my the number of employees I've had um, uh, number zero. Have you been it, Have you been an employee though? Haven't you? Certainly have. Yeah. In so fact, you have a view. I think it's important because you've had a view yeah. on leadership. You've had a view on 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 yeah. uh, bosses around you. Um, and yeah. I've led teams of led churches currently I'm the director of the further faster network and today's an exciting day because we have our first employee a day a week um so I've just become a boss again of one person but you know the truth is for those of us that are listening to this you know we might feel a sense of leadership with our family especially during these mad pandemic covid times we might sense feel a sense of leadership as as fathers with our kids um, you know, and you might be involved in some voluntary capacity in your local community. You might lead projects and lead people in that as well. Um, so I think all of us at some level either take some leadership responsibility or we're in organisations where we have bosses and we have a view on what they're like. I bet all your 450 employees, if we were to go and survey them, Dave, would have, an, have a view on you as mm. Uh, as a boss probably if you said what do you think of Dave as a boss they'd say who (laughs) exactly (laughs) in this particular episode um we're going to talk about the one thing you need to know about being a great boss so we're going to get the view from the top from Dave who is the boss of a lot of people I'm going to look at what um you know what the bible might say about leadership and being a boss and i'm really fascinated by this subject because it's something close to me so i'm going to round us off with that but before we go any further young andrew yeah you've been um scouring the dark corners of the internet and doing a bucket load of research in your job as a graphic designer that's what you do you spend a lot of time researching projects and designs and people so that's why we've asked you to look at this subject of bossing and leadership and yeah. being in charge and uh i know some of the stuff you've come up with is weird and wacky and and uh and, and a bit um off wonderful and other weird stuff wacky and wonderful I, I'll yeah weird wacky and wonderful weird wacky and wonderful by the by the bloke who's bald with a beard <laughs> that would be great yeah um so yeah so why don't you dive into that and uh, hopefully by the end of our hour together people will have got a little step further in understanding the boss who they work for or understanding how they can be better at being a boss in whatever situation they find themselves in. But Andy, what did you discover? 
you know do you know what this was a tough one and not because i couldn't find anything quite the opposite there is a mountain of material on the subject of being a great boss or a great leader but i had a few false starts uh, so here goes what makes a great boss someone who shouts a lot never makes the tea and doesn't ask the question how are you today and wait for an answer so what does history tell us well was Alexander the Great a great leader? Well, I honestly don't know. But history tells us that he was a king and a pharaoh. So, was that his surname, by the way? Just out of interest, is it Alexander the Great? Was was I, great, you know, like like Andrew Stewart, was his name Alexander Great? And, and was his middle name the? Okay, you do you know, know like it could Could have been. Actually, I did look at Attila the Hun, uh, but I took him out. But I did replace it with the great Genghis Khan. So mm. was he great? So he was a Mongolian warrior. He was notorious, but also responsible for the death of millions of people. So maybe not so great. But yeah. yeah, how about other great leaders? So Mandela stood up, Rosa Parks sat down, so did Greta, outside the Swedish parliament, and a global climate movement was born. And I think we all remember that, certainly the Yellow Cagoule. So how about other great leaders? Well, last year's Time Magazine's Person of the Year was Greta Thunberg. And in 2020, I don't know about you guys, who do you think it will be? I think, yeah, it won't be Donald Trump, but it might be a doctor, a nurse, a health worker, or a first responder. And these people have inspired communities, inspired nations in a time of international crisis. So let's bring the question of leadership into focus. And this is where I need your help, Dave and Duncan. Question time, four quick fire questions. So we're on Zoom, um, you could put your hands up or you could make a unique buzzer noise. So what would your buzzer noise be? Do that again, Dave. I'm not sure I can actually. I think it was just an electrical, <laughs> it was just an electrical with a bit of interference. It didn't come through very well, yeah. Do you know what we can do hands up? We'll, well do it's hands up. Dance. So, we should make We should make a bee-like sound, shouldn't we? So we should go buzz, you, 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 there you go. You could, uh, but it's not bad to get it. Buzz. Okay, that's the so you're both gonna, right. the You're both going to buzz in. Okay. So question one, question one. You have to be quick on this one. Mm -hmm. Who said, I have a dream? Martin Luther Dave. King. Martin, Martin Luther, Luther King. King. Yeah. Perfect. Question two, how many books on Amazon do you think have the word leadership in the title? So you can both have a go at this one. So Dave. Seven. Seven. Well done, <laughs> You know, I don't think Duncan's taking your quiz seriously. <laughs> I, so have a guess. I think I, think, uh, I will go for two million. Hey, do you know what? It's it, it's fifty-seven thousand, a little over fifty-seven thousand. And there's no Duncan might have been Dave's nearer. taking this quiz. Duncan might have Dave's been nearer. Take, yeah, Dave's not taking this quiz seriously. Cool. Andy. I'm sorry. You make you wonder why there's so many books, though, wouldn't you? Um, there's a lot of conversation about good and bad leadership. Uh, and it covers loads of industries, sectors, specialisms, um, and some are principles, others, you know, the long read. Um, and anyone can publish a book on leadership. Doesn't mean it's any good. But anyway, question three, who said a leader is a dealer in hope? This is multiple choice. So who said a leader is a dealer in hope? Was it Joe Biden, Napoleon Bonaparte, or Nelson Mandela? Mandela. Mm. You can both say the same one if you want. Yeah, I'll go Mandela. You fell into my trap. It was Napoleon Bonaparte. There you go. Uh -huh. yeah. Final question. Uh, quick fire. Which American singer-songwriter has the nickname The Boss? Bruce Springsteen. Uh, Springsteen. And the winner is? It's Dave. You nailed it. So, Duncan, you touched on this. We touched on this. When we were looking at the title uh, of podcast episode two, we landed on boss as opposed to leader. Do you remember? Yeah. Um, and so what's the difference between a boss and a leader? Well, a boss is a person in charge of something, that much we know. But it's also a slang term for excellent. If you do something like a boss, you do it with a bit of swagger. And I like that. So back to Time Magazine, quite a rich resource. A great leader has energy, the ability to plan and adapt, a great memory, and a bit of luck. And I love this next one. They have well-timed unreasonableness. So just to unpack that. The reasonable man adapts himself to the world, wrote George Bernard Shaw in Man and Superman. The unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. 
So that suggests that a great boss or a great leader, they look at things differently and affect change. And that needs vision, ambition, steady nerves, persistence and empathy. So what makes a great boss? Well, just before I dig into that, Dave and Duncan, I've got a question. How did you get your start and who was your first boss? So how did I start? So I actually started my own business. So um, right. so I left uni um, and with a mate that I'd met there, we set up our own business. So we started out with just the two of us and one other person who was our first employee. Um, and we kind of grew the business from there. So we kind of self-appointed ourselves as bosses. Um, and quite remarkably, we're, we're still kind of doing that for 33 years on. I wow. guess before that, in terms of my first boss, I did what my only job I had was uh, in my school holidays and uni holidays where I worked as a sports manager at a holiday centre. And so I had a bit of a, uh, had a boss there who was the general manager of the holiday park that I reported into for the for the sports department that I that I rang. And it, yes, if it sounds a bit highly high, then uh, <laughs> it actually was hoody ho. Heidi Heights, yeah. So, uh, so there you go. But that was my only experience of uh, being a boss. But that's how I right. got started. Right. And how about and you, Duncan? Uh, oh, great question. I got started. I left school when I was eighteen. I didn't go to university, um, and uh, so I went to work for Jay Sainsbury PLC, mm. and I went to work on their training manager. Well, in fact, I was. It was my Saturday job while I was at school. And they came to me and said, look, we see potential in you. Why don't you, when you leave school, why don't you come onto our training manager scheme? So I learned to be a leader in the retail sector. And I can remember the first job I had was in Holloway in London. And I was, um, I was the manager of the produce department in the Sainsbury's there. So it's right next to the, right next to the women's prison, Holloway prison in, in London. And uh, we had, we had um, brown polyester and viscous suits so you know you generated electricity as you walked around the store as, as the legs rubbed together and we had those ties that were clip-on ties because the year before the year before i joined somebody got quite painfully caught in a machine with their tie it just pulled them in so they now they banned all ties and used to have these clip-on ties somebody actually the first day i was there i said what happened and they said oh somebody leaned too close to the fax machine and ended up in sweden so they, <laughs> so, they, so they changed them for the clip-on ties. But anyway, I can remember in that job there, I can remember beginning to understand what leadership and being a boss was all about. It wasn't about being on your hands and knees all the time, filling shelves with food. Because when you did that, all your employees stood around and made their own plans up. I understood that a boss was about directing, was about getting the most out of a team, heading towards a goal. Mm. Um, and so I can remember once my store manager called me in and he said, I rarely see you stacking shelves. I rarely see you pulling out pallets and putting food out. Um, whereas all the other department managers have got dirty hands, they're on their hands and knees, they're stacking shelves. So I, I remember saying to him, have you got problems with the way that I work then? Are you bothered? Am I, am I not achieving the things I need to be achieving? He said, no, 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 that's not a problem. In fact, your department's doing the best in the store right now. But but you need to get your hands dirty more. And I said, I don't think that's what leadership is about. Of course, if there's a problem, I'm the first one to get on my hands and knees and help out if there's a rush on those kind of things. But I don't understand a boss should be somebody who directs others and gets the most out of others and develops others and maximizes the potential of others and drifts into the background mm -hmm. themselves. So um, so I discovered a lot about leadership right from the word go in, in a fairly grotty store in Holloway in, in London. So the question of uh, what makes a great leader a boss? Yeah, they know where they're going, both the direction and destination. And then, of course, but then what? You know, it's, it's what do they do? Well, they share an idea, they share a vision, and there's usually, um, they're just great storytellers. They've figured out something that's worth doing, and it might be a cause or a reason. Um, they then communicate that in a way that appeals to people's sense of purpose and ambition. Um, and some leaders, some bosses, they might say something like, well, here's why it's more important than anything else. They then set out what's in it for them, what's in it for you, and maybe others too. Um, you've got this situation then where people work together, they're brought into goals, brought into ambitions, and each has a part to play. Incentives are clear, positively encouraged. And I think here's the thing, I, I don't know about you two, but often the thing that you buy into, it might even fit into broader personal goals and ambitions outside of work. And um, yeah, one of the things uh, in our last episode uh, on, uh, yeah, on friendship, 
Dave, you mentioned uh, you touched on the 360 degree leadership um, and genuinely can't wait to hear your thoughts. Uh, but just before we do that, I thought to myself, well, what sits behind the heart of what you do? And people have already heard your founder and managing director of Mosaic Spa and Health Clubs, over 400 employees. So I reckon being the boss of that, that's partly casting a vision and ambition, growing and developing your employees so that they can see what you can see. And as a boss, I reckon that, yeah, you've got to do a bit of firefighting at times and not just figuratively. I mean, um, how's it going at Homer Park? I mean, genuinely, that's one of your sites, isn't it? But just in the last 24 hours, um, yeah, what happened, Dave? I mean, that's that's a tough call. Yeah, so it wasn't quite literally firefighting, but there was a fire at one of our sites. And I think that um, wherever there is a bit of a crisis that goes on in one of one of our sites or one of our clubs, you know, we are we are spread about. So we've got 25 sites. They're based around the country. I think sometimes when something goes really, really wrong, um, I think that's the time when, when as the boss, you need to show up. So so both myself and Steve, who I co-founded the business with, uh, we were both at, at Homer Park yesterday. So they had the fire in the morning and, and we were there. Um, wow. I was actually only an hour and a half away. So I got there a bit before Steve, but Steve then stayed on and he was there through to today, helping the manager through. And I think that's part of of leadership and, and being a good boss is that yeah. when it gets really tough, um, and that's a horrible thing to happen. The guys that were there that that witnessed it, it's it's quite worrying. They did a fantastic job. They got everybody out safely. They managed to contain the fire as best they could, and the damage is limited. And we'll we'll recover and bounce back. Um, but but it, I think um, it was interesting. I mean, you, you, from what you say, I got a text from the from the manager um, who did a who did a brilliant job yesterday. Um, but just saying. Just, just thank you. I really appreciated you turning up, and and that was great for me to receive. But it's good to know that I made the right judgment call. That actually, what felt right was to jump in the car and drive down there and just just be around. Right, I, mean, cool. I didn't, to be honest, I didn't really do a great deal. <laughs> I was there to be honest, but but I just think it um, it, it showed that I understood the, the the horribleness of their situation and what they'd been through, and could just thank people and reassure them that we'd we'd be okay. Yeah, yeah. Andy, I think. Sorry, before you, you carry on, um, I, I think we could stop the podcast here because I think what Dave has just said is probably one of the most important leadership lessons about being a great boss. You mean he said he said fire, people didn't know what to do, panicking. So we showed up, we were there. And I think that that's just it. I, you yeah. can't delegate responsibility in a crisis. You can't do leadership in a crisis. Um vicariously or on zoom you have to show up yeah. um, no matter what the score I, I had a boss once who my father-in-law died I mean this is 25 years ago my father-in-law died and um, I only just started working in this uh, for this organization and the boss didn't know me particularly well certainly didn't know my family certainly didn't know my father-in-law but he drove two and a half hours from Oxfordshire where we were living down to Hampshire where my father-in-law and was living, and he came to the funeral. He spent all, didn't know anyone else there. Spent all day just to support me, and and I'll never forget that. He didn't need to do that. I wouldn't have thought any less of him. But he just a busy man. He got in the car and came. He just turned up in in my moment of crisis. Yeah. Um, and I think you know, as hard as it is sometimes for bosses, because I've got so many other things to do, so many other responsibilities. Like just showing up. And like Dave said, you show up and you think, I don't know if, you know, I can't put a fire out. I can't rebuild this. I don't know what I'm doing here. But just just being there and talking to people and encouraging people, it's massive. And you can't pay for that. You can't outsource that. You can't neglect that. Yeah. So um, I think, you know, like I say, you mm. could finish it here because yeah. I think for some of us out there who are leading in different situations, we try and run away from conflict and crisis mm. and try and give mm. it to a middle manager or someone else. No, 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 no. If you're yeah. facing that right now, show up, show up. Yeah. It might be a long drive. Show up. It yeah. really is worth it. Yeah. No, that's great. Bonfire night tonight, isn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> I think it, well, I heard a few fireworks going up. Um, anyway, Duncan. Um, there, was a man, there was a man who tried to undermine leadership, actually. That's bonfire night is all about. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I like what you did there. Undermine leadership. Yeah. So there you go. That's good. <laughs> that's really good so to dial it back into the research um and people have loads to say in leadership three great books for you so the first one emotional intelligence for the modern leader by christopher d connors 
The second one, Dare to Lead by Brené Brown. And I love the strap line. Brave work, tough conversations, whole hearts. Um, and the third one, you probably heard of this one. Start with why, how great leaders inspire everyone to take action by Simon Sinek. And uh, yeah, you're familiar with that. And uh, his TED talk, incidentally, um, I think it's the third most watched with over 52 million views. Uh, that tells you he's onto something. If there was one thing you need to know about being a great boss, what would it be? Well, I asked my wife, Andrea, what makes a good boss? And do you know what? She didn't miss a beat. A great boss or leader gives you something worth following. And yeah, do you know, right. it might be that simple, a cause, a meaning, a purpose, a reason, but beyond just the paycheck in, in some cases. So before I go on, Dave Duncan, you've both done a lot more hiring than I have. Do you guys hire the attitude and teach the skills or hire the knowledge? Absolutely hire the attitude. You, yeah. can, you can teach people that, and you can hone their skills. Um, that attitude is is much more inbred and, and inbuilt. So, you know, my organisation, one of the things that we would look for at interview, we always talk about is a high smile factor. Yes, yeah. we know that a lot of people um, in interviews quite nervous, quite false situation. And if you've got someone that can smile their way through that, then they're going to smile their way through through their shift in the health club or the spa that we mm -hmm. run. And that's that's what we want. Uh, you know, we're about a business that's trying to deliver great service and is trying to connect with people. And so you know, one of our sort of strap lines is that a smile is the shortest distance between two people. So we'll be looking to recruit oh, people great. based on uh, based on their smile factor far more than what's in their CV or what qualifications they've got. Mm -hmm. So definitely attitude over skill for me. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, right. it's great, Dave. I mean, I, I've um, I've often stuck to this uh, this concept of the five C's when I've looked to build team and to employ and uh, to recruit people. And the first C is exactly what we're talking about. The first C is character. You know, yes, competence, which is the second C, is important. Why would I employ you if you were no good at the job? But over and above that, it's character. Um, so it's character. Then it's competence and the and the third thing is chemistry um, just in terms of the team so you might have great character and you might be highly competent highly skilled at what you're doing but for whatever reason and it's really hard to to manufacture this but when I put you in the team situation it just goes quiet and the tumbleweed rolls across the screen the screen it, you know there isn't the chemistry there you know so I love that idea of character first then competence then chemistry with the rest of the team the fourth C is, is um, it's a funny word, but it's catalytic. Um, you know, do you make things happen um, as, as, a, as a person? Are you someone who just sits there and say, well, I'm, I'm sitting in the canteen because no one's called me down to do my shift yet. You know, and, and there's all these boxes on the floor, but no one's told me to clear them up. I need someone who's going to come to me and say, uh, what do you want me to do today? I've seen all those boxes out there. Would you like me to clear them up? Would you like me to put them in the recycling? What, what's my next thing? Well, I've got this great idea. So character, competence, chemistry, catalytic and the fifth one and it's a bit of an odd one this one it's a strange word it's almost a churchy word the fifth one is calling i i remember interviewing somebody for, i was working in a church and we were interviewing somebody to do a digital job um for us to work on our on our graphic design and digital stuff and uh, honestly very early on in the interview i said to them so so what are you currently doing what, what's your dream what's what's what are you passionate about and they said well really what i'm passionate about is medical photography I just love that idea of, I love photography anyway, but taking, so so if I got the job you're offering, it would only be a short-term thing, just to fill in a blank till I could get to the, you know, and I wish I'd have just said, you know, thank you very much. We don't really need to carry this conversation on. There was no sense of calling there. I wanted somebody to sit there and say, I'm really passionate about growing the kind of church that unchurched people love. And I want to use my talent and my skills to mm. do that. I want to, someone to feel called. Um, to do that not just filling in the blanks until they run away you know I'm sure that's true for you Dave you don't want someone coming into a, a an employed role in your company just like well actually you know in a couple of years I want to head off somewhere else um, but right now I don't mind just showing up and doing a bit of this for you do, mm. you know you're not there's not there's no sense of longevity with that so so those five C's have always been the things I've looked for in trying to recruit something that's good that's good do you know I thought your fifth one was going to be common sense um but um is that with a hyphen um anyway or, or we could have had a sixth one and it could have been commitment 
for example. Oh, it's so, good. Yeah, you, yeah. Can, you can keep the C's yeah. going. Or oh, cash. cash. Seven C's. Well, the, there you go. The seven C's. The seventh one. The seventh one would have to be coffee. I don't think yeah. you could That's be good. a leader and work yeah. in any organisation with me unless you liked good coffee. If you bought Nescafe Cafe Instant Granules with you, you're out on your ear straight away. Yeah. It's good. We're talking about one of the key ingredients of life now, not just being a good leader. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So, yeah. So I can't remember where I read it, but I came across a great line. Don't pick a job, pick a boss. Your first mm. boss is the biggest factor in your Absolutely. career. Absolutely. That's brilliant. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll, that wasn't one of mine, but I'll come back to that at the end. So final summary before last thoughts. Great leaders create leaders to lead well. Well, that's about looking outwards as well as within to consider goals, ambitions, objectives and targets. But to also listen and hear the views of those around us to concede when a good point counters your own. To also be courageous in difficult and challenging circumstances. A great boss builds influence by creating strong interdependent relationships. And that's based on credibility and trust throughout the team and organization. And that's likely done one person at a time. So to, to close my deep dive on the Waggle Dance podcast, episode two, the one thing you need to know about being a great boss, what do I think? I mean, I've shared what others think, but what do I think? Well, my boss married me. There you have it. And you know what? It's true. 28 years ago, she saw me not just as a new recruit. She saw something else beyond just husband material. <laughs> beyond the beard. I, yeah, beyond the beard. I didn't have a beard then, actually. I had hair, though, on my head. Right. I like to think she saw the person that I might become. That is what I tell myself. But genuinely, I think a great boss sees the person that you might become on a final thought. There's no such thing as the perfect boss or the ideal leader, apart from my boss, who's also my wife, and she might be listening. So what do you think? Oh, that's great, Andy. That's really Brilliant. good. Dave, Dave what's, what jumps out, you know, is it, I mean, there's so much rich stuff in there. Again, we could finish the podcast now yeah. and just rewind and go back over some of those things Andy said. But what, what, what was the one thing that jumped out for you? So I think it is this concept about leadership is is telling a story. It's about inspiring others. It's, um, yeah. you know, it's that that Simon Sinek, um, you know, the why uh, of what of what we do, not just not just the what and the how. So, yeah, I think I think that's that's really important that you just focus on on what's the story about why we do what we do. That, that I think at the heart of all good leaders that would be something that would be a trait that we're running through them that they would keep reminding everybody. Why keeps you going? Because every job gets tough. I mean, you mm. know, this season of COVID that we're in right now, it's really whatever, whatever job you're in, even if your business is thriving like Tesco's or Sainsbury's, it's because it's thriving, it's tough. There are tough decisions to make. It's difficult. And, and when you understand the why, it's that that keeps you going when the storms come. You know, why are we doing this? Why am I getting up early? Why am I coming home tired? Why is it such hard work? Because we want to achieve something great. Um, and so bosses that keep reminding their team, you know, why they do what they do. That's, you're right. They're great bosses. Something that Andy said that, that jumped out for me was something he said towards the end there. And he, it was kind of almost a throwaway throw comment. He said, uh, I've written it down. He said, great leaders create great leaders. And I've often thought about that, especially the older I've got as a leader. Great leaders create great leaders. What if my legacy, what if my success as a leader isn't judged by how many followers I have, but judged by how many other leaders I create? Yeah. What if that was my success rate, that, you know, it was about giving what I'd learned and experienced away to others and allowing them to thrive. You know, what if, what if that was how I was judged as a leader, not by the fact that I had, you know, had this many followers and built this many teams and had this many employees mm. and made this many millions. Um, what if it was about how many other leaders I created? Because, you know, when I, and I know I'm going to get onto this a bit later on, but when I look at Jesus, that's what he did. You know, he took 12 ordinary people that society had thrown away and said, you're not good enough. And he changed the world with those 12 young men, you know? Um, yeah. And, and, and that's and what to an judging. extent, what you want to be doing is succession planning, isn't it? So, mm. so it's not about creating an organization or leading any, any kind of business organization, sports club or whatever. 
that that is successful whilst you're leading it but it's about creating the culture and the environment and the people that when you leave it continues to be successful and you know i i remember having many conversations with people that have been leaders in in my organization that you know when we've moved them on to a different role or another another organization and there's a sense perhaps it's perhaps human nature that they don't want it to go quite as well because it will just show us how good they are and 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 that's natural human reaction i kind of get that a bit but i think actually the greatest um tribute that, that that is to your to your qualities as a leader is that the organization continues to thrive when you're no longer around yeah did you see you know you know during lockdown you tend to just devour shed load of tv that you wouldn't normally watch you know for most of us by the end of week two of lockdown last time around we finished netflix and most of youtube <laughs> didn't know where to go next um and uh, and i watched one of those programs i would never watch i think it was on sky arts or was it the sewing documentaries wasn't yeah, the sewing no, no no um and it, it was about the uh, do you remember the airline pan american pan am mm. about how it had changed the world of uh, international travel and flight um, and it, brand new thinking, brand new concepts. And the, I can't remember his name, but the boss of Pan Am, he was famous. He constantly said, he held his leadership cards close to his chest and he said, when I die, the company dies with me. And it did. Oops. When he, he killed over had a massive heart attack and the company fell apart. He didn't give leadership away. It was no longevity. Pan Am lasted for that very short space of time and on all around that leader. And you think, what a, what a sad legacy. What a sad legacy that if... if if you, Dave, won the lottery and, and decided you didn't want to, you know, lead Mosaic anymore in all these health clubs, it would. Be you chose that people. rather than me having a heart attack. By the way, that's what yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, people always do. What happens if you fall under a bus? You know, and it's like, well, what, what about if, if I won the lottery? You know, um, but if you did and you moved out, you know, like it would be so sad to think that your legacy was a, was a company and organisation that crumbled because you didn't create other leaders who would stand in your place. You know? Yeah. So, yeah great stuff great stuff hey listen we need to move on because it's you know it's almost too long already i'm so excited about the next segment because every every episode of of this um waggle dance podcast um you know we we want to see the world through dave's eyes because dave has a unique view but he's the boss of a very successful very large company and it's kind of a place that not many of us live in and he sees the world from a different perspective there so I'm really excited with this subject to, to know from Dave, what's the one thing you need to know about being a great boss from your view from the top? Well, you know, when I sat down to think about what I could say in kind of my view from the top, I was really mindful that the question that we're trying to answer is what's the one thing about being a great boss? And if you went through those 57,000 books that Andy talked about on Amazon, <laughs> you'd you'd find that, you know, what are the five key traits of being a great leader or the 10 things that you need to do to get your team behind you. But it's the one thing. And, you know, I found that almost impossible to boil leadership down to one thing. So before I reveal what my one thing actually is, let me sort of take you on the journey of how I kind of ended up there with that. With that. So, and I firstly, I want to kind of nail the definition thing here a bit. So when we talk about being a great boss, we, we are, we're talking about leadership, I think, in the context of this, of this podcast. And, you know, and we all lead, even Andy in his, in his one man business is leading his clients and leading those associates that he works with. The thing is, we don't always think, think about ourselves as a boss. So leadership, I think the first thing is it's not the same as authority. So we can actually offer leadership up to those that have more authority or responsibility than us. We can lead sideways to those that have similar roles to us on a team. And leadership is often as much about that as it is about leading those who report into us. When we talk about being a great boss, and we've kind of done it a bit now, to be honest, just in, in the conversation we've had already, we just tend to think about, about that leading down bit to those we manage and not about how we lead across or up. So we spoke about earlier, you know, I was lucky enough to set up my own business with my mate from 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 college. And we, we did that when we graduated in 1987, which was a long time ago. Um, and it was just there was just two of us and one member of staff and no hierarchy and no real reporting, structural reporting lines. And now, of course, that we're a bit bigger, we've got to have a bit more structure and, and people are reporting into others who then actually report into into me and Steve, my my business partner. So. At times, what I would say, view from the top, 
can get a bit lonely and scary. Even though I've got my best mate alongside me, we can feel a bit exposed. So I want to put it out there. I think this is really important for, for me in this podcast to kind of just say that first and foremost, as a leader, I am so grateful for those in my team who lead, especially when they help to lead me. One of the most worrying things when you're a leader is that you find out you're working in an echo chamber where those in your team just tell you the things that they think you want to hear or just tell you back the things that you tell them rather than the harsh reality that you actually need to hear. One of my favourite authors, I think actually you might have introduced me to him, Duncan, is Max Tupree. And he once wrote that the first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. And I think that's true. But sometimes you need others in your team to help you define that reality. So I think that's the first thing. Don't just think about being a leader as, as about what you do to those that report into you. Think about sideways and upwards leadership as well. Now, aside from the Max Dupree quote that I mentioned earlier, one of my other favourite leadership quotes is from a guy called Gardner, who defines leadership as the ability to create a story that affects the thoughts, feelings and actions of others. And it's kind of it's reinforcing the points that we talked about earlier. I so that. I think one of the key responsibilities of a boss is to cast vision and to never stop telling the story of why we do what we mm. do. Simon Sinek style. Now, boys, both of you are specialists in casting vision and telling stories. So you must see the value in this leadership, don't you? I think it's uh, for me, this is where I, where I did StrengthsFinder a while ago and ideation and vision were very high and and that is you've explained it Dave the role of a leader is to take is to take I mean here we go leadership 101 you know leadership for dummies is to take a group of people from here to there I mean that's it that's what leadership is taking a bunch of people who are here over there and the only way you do that the way to start doing that is to cast vision casting vision sounds so corporate these days it sounds so something you read in the book and so I always describe it like this I always say a great leader will paint a picture of the future and drag it into the present. Brilliant. For me, that's what casting vision yeah. is. It's saying, let me paint a picture of what this could be. And so I often use the words, just imagine. Just imagine if we did this. Just imagine if our organisation turned out like that. Just imagine if we got to this place as an organisation. Mm. Just imagine. So you paint that picture, which is in the future, and then you drag it into the present. This is how we get there. Who's up for the journey with me? Yes, please. I want to get on board. So yeah, that that's vision for me is painting a picture of the future and dragging it into the here and now. And I, I think for me, it's uh, it's exact. I was just going to say exactly what Duncan said then. <laughs> it's um, yeah. That, so I've got this little red line uh, of text, um, and and I refer to it now and again. And it's um, it's by Jordan Peterson, um, and it's set up your schedule so it's the best day you can have. Um, and it sounds super simple. Um, and when it comes to vision and ambition and achieving things and ticking stuff off the list, I think we can get sidetracked by the uh, yeah by the list um, and forget to lift the eyes to the to the horizon. Um, and I think yes, yeah, so you guys have said it already um, when it comes to vision uh, and vision casting. But when it comes to being a boss, I think uh, people follow you because they have to because it's your position. Um, they want to because of what you can do for them and the, and the organization. And finally, I think particularly in your position, Dave, they follow you because of what you've done for them personally, because of who you are. You know, um, you, you embody that. Um, and I think your values are, are demonstrated, not, not because of what you say, but through actions and behavior. So, yeah, I think it's a great question, Dave. I really do. So I think it's kind of living out the vision, isn't it? It's kind of like yeah, that's saying. it. You've got, if you've Absolutely. got a vision as a leader, you've got to got to live it out. Yeah, you know, I never really understood actually while we're talking about leadership. So why so much fuss is made of the conductor in the orchestra? It always seemed to me they just stood in the front and kind of waved the baton to keep everyone in time. And I genuinely couldn't understand why the conductor was the one that walked off to a standing ovation when all he'd done was wave his stick about to keep time. Where there was far more skillful people producing amazing wonderful sounds from instruments that look so complex to play. And then I met the man who's now my father-in-law and who actually his job was a conductor. And I learned that the conductor's role is not just to wave his stick in time to the music, but to be simultaneously reading all the lines of music for all the different sections of the orchestra so that he can bring each section in at exactly the right moment in time. 
with the wave of the stick or sometimes just the look from their eye. The conductor is the one person keeping the whole thing together and making the performance as wonderful as, or disastrous if they get it wrong as it is. Wow. Mm. Who knew? And the conductor takes something so complex and makes it look so simple. And that, to be honest, is the best metaphor for leadership that I can find. You see, to be the conductor, you don't have to be able to play every instrument in the orchestra. But boy, do you need to be able to read the music. One of the easiest mistakes to make as a leader is to worry about having people on your team who are better than you. The theory, I guess, is that if they're too good, they might take your job. And when I was a lot younger, I might even have worried about that a bit myself. But actually, the reverse is true. The conductor will never be able to play all the instruments in the orchestra, and the leader should never be able to do all the tasks in their organisation. Surround yourself with people who are excellent at what they do, and hopefully much better than you at it, and your business will fly and you'll be lifted up as a leader. And secondly, always, make your, always admit your mistakes. As the boss, it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that it's a sign of weakness if you admit you've got it wrong in front of your team. Nothing could be further from the truth. On the odd occasion when I watched my father-in-law go wrong in rehearsal, he'd stop the orchestra, apologise, and they would pick up the music again from wherever he, wherever he suggested. You see, when an orchestra goes wrong, it's so obvious that the different sections are out of time. Everyone knows the conductor's made a mistake. The same is true in leadership. All your mistakes are there for everyone to see. So own them, apologise and move on. It builds trust and respect and, by the way, creates an environment where everyone feels they can own up to their own mistakes and not try to hide or bury them. And as a leader, you need your team to shout out when they've got something wrong. And perhaps my best analogy, my greatest analogy of leadership and with a conductor is this. At different times during a symphony, various parts of the orchestra put down their instruments and rest. They're not needed for that section of the music. But the conductor's always there, always reading the music, counting the bars and the beat. So what's my one thing you need to know about being a great boss? Is to be relentless. Mm. Relentless about sharing the vision and telling the story of why we do what we do. Never believe that you've told that story enough as a leader. Relentless about attention to detail. It's the little things that really count. And if you can't be bothered with the small detail, then why should anyone else in your team be bothered? Relentless about achieving the best being the best that you can possibly be. And that, might, that means sometimes admitting your own mistakes and putting them right. Relentless about getting the best people around you, especially those that are better than you at aspects of the business. As a boss, if you can do nothing else, be relentless. Inspire others to keep going simply because you're the one who keeps going, no matter how challenging it is or how many obstacles are put in your way. Relentless, Mate. please. Listen, listen, listen. You need to start writing that book, Relentless <laughs> Leadership. No, I'm serious. I don't know. If, out of the 57,000 titles that Andy found on mm. Amazon, I've not heard of a book called Relentless Leadership and all those qualities of a leadership, mm. of, of a leader. You're absolutely right. Because so often we, we, we learn something by reading a book or listening to a podcast like this or going to a seminar and we might put it into practice once and we think we're a great leader. And it's not, it's that relentless and consistent application of what it means to lead well that, that rises you from being just a good leader to being a great leader. Relentless leadership has to be the title of yeah, your next book, Dave. Really and good. People need to hear that. I, yeah. It's great. I've got another wonderful. idea. Go on. We could do a podcast, can we? Uh, on relentless leadership. Mind you, whose idea was that? I think that was Dave's, wasn't it? Yeah. I'm just sure, do you imagine the relentless podcast sounds like it goes on and on <laughs> and on? So I'm not sure. I'm not sure of any of the relentless podcasts. In describing leaders, I've often heard people say to, about leaders that they are um, ruthless, mm. yeah, which has got a kind of relentless um, tinge to it. You know, they're ruthless leaders. And, and I'm never attracted to ruthless leaders or ruthless leadership. However, to rigorous leadership. There's a big difference between ruthlessness, which is like diving with a sword and chop everybody's head off if they're not performing, and rigorous leadership that says, I don't just brush it under the carpet, we bring it to the surface and deal with mm. it. So I like rigorous leadership. I don't like ruthless leadership. And I think there's something about rigor and relentless rigor yeah. 
that brings the best out of people and brings the best out of a leader. What jumped out for you, Andy, in terms of what Dave has just said? Yeah, well, I think it's the vision casting, but I think it's the storytelling. And it's speaking in a way that, pe yeah. that people understand and connect with. Um, I remember reading um, a book by um, the American author, Bobette Buster, and it's called, um, How do you, well, it's, it's Do Story. You've just made that name yes. up, haven't you? There is nobody called Bobette Buster. You, it's just a made-up name. You found Look it Amazon. up. Um, I've got the book. Um, she's a scriptwriter, screenwriter, lecturer. It's a woman. Yes. Yeah. No, no it, way it, is Bobette a, a woman. It's, it's, I suppose it's, it's Bob, a poodle. isn't it? A female it's actually Bob a dog Bobette. That written, that's written a book. So anyway, we, we, she's actually known to her, to by her mother as Roberta, but she but she likes to be Bobette to her mates. Do you know what? I'm, I'm glad an adult has stepped in just to uh, kind of... <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, this is where I lose the thread. No, I'll pick it up. Um, so she wrote a book. Uh, it's all about how do you tell you, tell a story so that the world listens? And, and it's, a, it's a brilliant sort of subtitle because it suggests that actually your story's got to relate to your audience. So what's it about? Um, how does it relate? Is it of utility and worth and value? And, um, and check it because um, if you're telling a story, one of the worst things you can do is bore people, I think, um, because it's just uncomfortable. Um, so what jumped out to me, actually, do you know what? Relentless. I love that because it's persistent. It suggests that when things aren't perhaps going to plan, you've got to dig a bit deeper or, or actually just kind of, uh, yeah, engage the troops in a way that inspires the, you know, and lights up the passion. So uh, it's good. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Thanks, Bob. And the other thing I, I, I felt that I, I didn't want to gloss over something that Dave said, which is dear to my heart, that, that I just want to come grab a highlighter and highlight so we don't miss it. Dave quoted Max Dupre, and Max Dupre was a Fortune 500, in fact, a Fortune 100 company boss, as well as a church pastor. And he wrote, a, I think probably my all-time favorite book on leadership. It's about 25 years old now, and it's very small, so you could read it in a, you know, a short, set, uh, yeah, short setting. And uh, the book is called The Art of Leadership, or Leadership is an Art, I can't quite remember. But that's where he defines leadership in a way that I've never heard it defined before. I mean, John Maxwell, God bless him, used to define leadership as influence. And that's partly true. But if it was completely true that leadership was about influence, my dog would be the greatest leader on the planet because my dog just looks at me with those sad eyes and makes me take it for a walk or take it out to have a treat. You know, it's, uh, my dog's influential, but not necessarily a leader. But Max Dupre nails it when he says, the this, is his, this is his definition of leadership. As Dave said, the first thing a leader does is define reality. He then says, the last thing a leader does is to say thank you, and in between they're a servant. And that wraps up leadership for me. They're a lean, mean thanking machine. They're constantly buying beers and soft drinks for their employees to say thank you. They're a lean, mean thanking machine. In between everything, they're a servant. They're not too uh, important to get on, the, on their knees and fill the shelves with food or to turn up when there's a fire at the, at, at the company, at their servants. Um, but the first thing a leader does before anything, the first thing is to define reality, to look at the P&L, um, the bottom line, and say, it's not great, is it? We're not doing so well here. To define a little, because so often leadership is, you know, leaders look at through things with rose-tinted spectacles. We're right bang in the middle now of... Um, the American election, and no one's quite sure whether Biden's winning or Trump's winning. And yet Trump is looking at things through a, a rose-tinted spectacles. You know, he said, um, you know, a few hours after the election closed, he said, we've won and we should stop counting. You know, he's, he's, he's not defining reality there. And so people don't trust him. So the first thing a leader does, you know, the one thing you need to know about leadership, define reality in the situation you're in. Ask some tough questions. Find out what really is going on. So yeah, I, thanks, Dave. That's you need to write that relentless leader book. That's <laughs> great. So I think we're talking about books, though. Actually, um, you know, we all in in different ways follow and read uh, the Bible, and uh, and that's a collection of books. And what I think you always do so well for me, Duncan, is you unpick the stories behind the behind the stories that are in the Bible and and tell them so well and make you look at those stories that many of us are really familiar with or or, or, or have heard before in, in various different settings and just and just give a new context for it so so yeah so i'm really looking forward to hearing um banksy in the bible and, and, and what you've unpicked on there in terms of in terms of the uh, of being a great boss is it okay if i get a little bit controversial in this 
because um, why not? Um, why break the habit of a lifetime? If people could why, break, why break the habit of a lifetime? Exactly. That's like a... <laughs> so I want to get a little bit controversial, and unlike you, Dave, I'm going straight in up front with what my bottom line is. Here is the one thing I think you need to know about being a great boss, and this is where it gets controversial if you keep on listening. Here it is: your people will love your integrity, but they'll follow your clarity. Okay, that's my bottom line. That's the one thing you need to know about being a great boss. Understand that your people will love your integrity, but they'll actually follow your clarity. In this crazy, mad COVID season we're living in, as a boss, Dave, you know, you might not be able to provide certainty about when the club's going to be open that's just had a fire or when we're going to return to some sense of normality. You might not be able to provide certainty and bosses love to provide certainty, but COVID means you can't. So you might not be able to provide certainty, but you must provide clarity. And I want to look at something in the Bible where that happens in a moment. But Dave, I don't know if you've seen this over the years, there have been so many surveys done of employees asking them what they want from a boss. You must have seen those surveys mm -hmm. before. I mean, they you know, two are pending on the internet. And every time someone says, what, you know, you're in, imagine we're all in a room, there's a flip chart, there's the David Brent character at the front doing the staff training day. And uh, they, you know, they ask the question, um, what do you want out of a great boss? Every single time that question is asked, people will say, I want integrity. You know, I want someone I can trust. I want a boss who, when they say they're going to do something, they actually do it. I want a boss who, when they say yes, they mean yes. And when they say no, they mean no. I want a boss who keeps their promises doesn't go back on their word. I want someone I can trust. And so in every survey that's done, when the question's asked, what do you want out of a boss? People use that word integrity over and over again. But here's the problem. And this is where it gets controversial. Here's the problem. That's not who we follow. We follow the person that has clarity much more than we follow the person that has integrity. So we value integrity, but we follow clarity. We follow the leader who is clearest about what the future look like, looks like. So let me demonstrate this to you. I wanna take you back four years. Like I say, we're right bang in the middle of the American election right now. And we're not quite sure whether it's a Biden or a Trump win. But I wanna take you back to when um, uh, 2016, when Trump first ran for the presidency, it was him against Hillary Clinton. Now, what, did, what was Hillary Clinton's clear message? What did she stand for back in 2016? Do you remember? Hang no, on, I'll just, I'll just Google it. No, don't. Can we edit it back in so he said... So you oh. can't remember, can you? You can't remember. Make, Hillary, make America... Um, no. no, Hillary said in 2016, she, her, her promise, her, her mantra was Hillary for America. I mean, what does that mean? Where is there any clarity in that statement? Of course, Trump, we all know what he stood for, you know? Oops. Make what America great again. Make America great again. You know, whatever that meant, there was a clarity about it. Greatness was coming if you follow me. And everybody repeated it time and time again. He stuck it on a baseball cap and threw those caps out to people. It was a rally cry that millions got behind. So I'm not saying integrity, you know, they followed his integrity because, you know, he paid off porn stars and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of integrity there. But people, goodness me, they, they followed his clarity. Let's bring it closer to home. See if you can remember this. 2019 was our general election. Andy, can you remember what Labour promised in the general election in 2019? What was their slogan? God, you know, it's, it's a good question. No, it's the of short answer. Don't. Nobody does. No, all right. No. Um, it, it's, uh, th their slogan was, it's time for real change. I mean, no one remembers it because it's it's easily forgettable. What is real change? Change from what to what? There's no clarity there. Dave, do you remember what the Lib Dems promised? What their their slogan was? All three of them? No. No. Well, the, three slogans yeah. or three Lib Dems? <laughs> three Lib Dems. <laughs> their their promise was build a better future. So, like you know, again, what does that mean? What does give me a picture of what the future looks like? What is a better future in your eyes? There's no clarity, and of course. We all know, and you're going to say it as one, what did Boris promise in the 2019 election? Get Brexit done. Get Brexit done. And after I heard one comedian say, after all these children that Boris has had, maybe we should change the slogan to get Boris done, which I thought was quite funny. <laughs> <as well. laughs> but, but the interesting thing for me is 
Boris rated, rated the lowest out of all these candidates. He rated the lowest when it came to integrity. Do you remember the question time evening when they were questioning the um, the different candidates? You know, there was Jeremy Corbyn, there was the Lib Dem person, and then there was Boris. And uh, one of the studio audience said to Boris, how important is it for members of parliament, politicians to tell the truth? And Boris went, oh, it's very important. And the whole studio guffawed with laughter. And he went, oh, I didn't expect that. And it became like massive news because everybody knew that he's got a reputation of not being a person of great integrity. But he scored, he scored low on integrity, but he scored really high on clarity. Get Brexit done. And the nation followed him. So I've discovered right in the middle of this American election that elections are not honesty competitions. We vote for the leader who is clearest about what we hold dearest. We vote for the leader who's clearest about what we hold dearest. In other words, we value integrity. Of course we do. We'd love our leaders to have integrity, but actually we follow clarity. So I think the one thing you need to know as a great boss is to be clear over and above everything else. Clarity is the one thing a boss needs. And clarity is the one thing that most companies, not just leaders, forget. Let me take you back to uh, Steve Jobs and Apple. See, Apple is... Uh, a far bigger company. Is it like a trillion dollar company now? It's the biggest grossing company in the world. Um, uh, and it only grew after Steve Jobs began to clarify both its message and its offering. So prior to Jobs' arrival at Apple, their first, you said about their first computer, their first computer was called the Lisa. And so they developed this computer and they advertised it in the New York Times. And the advert was a technical advert that ran for nine pages nine pages of technical information about this computer. It bombed, nobody bought it. And so then Jobs returns to Apple and he runs this two word campaign. Do you remember the two word campaign that is still the kind of mantra of Apple? What is it? Think different. Think different. They clarified their message and they clarified their offering and it created significant growth. They got results, people followed. You know, Steve Jobs and Apple proved it. If you remove all the complexity, if you remove all the clutter and all the confusion, um, then you get results and people start to follow. We value integrity in our leaders. Of course we do, but we follow clarity. So let me get into uh, really quickly and then I'm done. Let me get into a tiny bit uh, um, in the Bible here, because I think one of the most profound biblical leaders is this man, Moses. And Moses was tasked by God to lead the people of Israel, over a million of them, to lead them out of slavery and into this promised land that God had got them. So you can imagine, Andy and Dave, you can imagine you were, you know, 400 years, four centuries of slavery in Egypt under the Pharaohs. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, enough's enough, let my people go. And the Pharaoh does let after a long story he does let the people go and they head out towards the promised land so a million of them are doing this journey women children old people disabled people young people they're all they're all um heading out towards this land of milk and honey that god had got for them the journey from egypt to the promised land should have taken them just over a month it took them 40 years and it took them 40 years because they kept stuffing up and god kept saying do another lap until you can learn the lessons until they got it right but eventually they arrive at the promised land but there's a problem there's a big problem and the problem is the jordan river it was a high tide and you can imagine the mums standing by the jordan river thinking i can't get my kids over this torrent you can imagine disabled people and old frail people saying i can't get over there you can imagine you know um dads and mums thinking how am i going to get granny and grandpa and aunties and uncles we're stuffed we're stuck there was a huge problem but the promised land was just over the other side of the river the other problem is this this leader moses this hero of the people he's now old he's now past it he's struggling he's done as a leader so he appoints joshua his young charge to lead the people and what joshua does next i think is the mark of a great boss the mark of a fantastic leader as much for what he doesn't say as what he does say so he doesn't stand in front of all these people and says and say he doesn't say to them all listen guys Moses is kind of gone now I'm in charge you've got nothing to worry about I'll look after you he doesn't promise that because he can't the Jordan River's in front of them and the promised land is the other side he doesn't say don't worry everything will work out fine there's a lot of uncertainty but he can't promise those kind of things. He couldn't provide certainty for them. So what does he do instead? He gives them clarity. 
He gives them something to do. So let me read you this one verse from Joshua chapter one. The verse says this, Joshua ordered the officers of the people. He said, go through the camp and tell the people, here it is, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you'll cross the river Jordan right here to go in and take possession of the land your God is giving you. So he gives them some clarity. I mean, it doesn't get, get much clearer than this. He says, pack your stuff up, guys. Make some cheese and tomato sandwiches for you and for the kids, for the whole family. Get your provisions ready because in three days time, not tomorrow or the day after, but there's clarity here. In three days time, we're going to cross. I mean, everybody knew their assignment. They couldn't panic because they knew what they had to do. Everybody knew the time frame. It was three days time. Even though they didn't have any clue what was going to happen, they knew what they had to do. You see, we value integrity in leaders, but I'm telling you, boys, we follow clarity. You might not be able to give any certainty like Joshua couldn't give any certainty, but you must be clear. And so let me finish with it. What we want as leaders, and Dave said this already, and I think Andy has as well, what we want with leaders, as leaders more than anything else is we want people to run with the dream. We want people to pick up the dream and run with it and make it their own. We want the dream to be so portable that people can pick it up and hold it and run with it and make it their own. How do you get to portability? You get to portability through this equation. Clarity plus simplicity equals portability. If you're clear and your message is simple, then it will be portable. People will pick it up and run with it. We want portability in everything we do. And the only way we get it is to push away complexity and run with simplicity and run with clarity. People will love your integrity, but they will follow your clarity. And I don't know whether that is the only thing that you need to know about being a great boss. I don't think it is. But certainly, certainly in the latter years of my leadership life, I've discovered that clarity is probably one of the most potent weapons any leader can grab hold of and follow. Mm. So... Value integrity, we follow clarity. Make sense? So good. great. It's yeah. great. And I think it's back to that. Um, so I like my conductor analogy. And I think that's back to, you know, that that's that's two things that the conductor's doing as well. And, and he's making something that is actually really quite difficult to look really simple. And I think, yeah, um, you know, sometimes we overcomplicate things when we're in, when we're in, in positions of leadership or, or authority or, or influence, whatever you want to call it, or a boss, sometimes there is a sense that we feel we have to have to make things really quite complicated because that's perhaps the right thing to do. And I think actually what's come out of from all the different things that we've you guys have said and what I've been thinking about before we put this podcast together is that is that yeah, it's it's about just making it look simple and clear and and explaining it and it being a story that that engages people when they've got a mm. reason why they want to do it and but actually yeah you make it really really simple and really clear and and people buy into that yeah um, you got and, and i would say ask that question you know it, when you're with people that you're leading ask that question what isn't clear about this i do it all the time if i send people documents or proposals or ideas the first thing i say to them is what isn't clear about this tell me what i'm missing yeah. I mean, great. ask people on your teams, what's not clear? This yeah. is the plan. I've just outlined it to you. Tell me what's not clear. I want to know because I want to make it clear because I want it to be portable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Take away the complexity, make it simple, make it clear, and it will be portable. So good. So good. I just want to hold something up now. Nobody can see this except you guys, uh, and you won't be able to read it, but what you might be able to see is that it's a message that's been painted. So Andrea came into my studio yesterday. We work from home. She's an artist. And she heard a quote on an audio book she's listening to or just finished about Oliver Reed. And she listens while she paints. She's listened to over 60 books. And it's from a guy called Ziv Mankiewicz, I think Professor Mankiewicz. He's an author, teacher, and he used to say, and this is what links into your story and uh, Duncan. Um, uh, and, and it, le it leads into, you know, the conductor, um, you know, his, his story, his role. And he says, people don't believe in ideas. They believe in people who believe in ideas. And um, Andrea knew that we were doing this episode on being a great boss, being a great leader. And that's the one thing that she wanted to kind of draw and underline. Uh, and Jesus was, uh, you know, somebody who people believed in because he had a sensational, much more than just an idea. Uh, and Duncan, your 
much better equipped at unpacking that one. And uh, over the course of the next episodes, I, I really look forward to hearing those. Yeah. Boys, I've got an idea. I've got an idea. We, we're blokes and we can only look through the eyes, through life, through the eyes of, of a bloke. And we've looked at friendship, what it means to be blokes together and be friends. We've looked at, you know, what it means to be a boss. Are you okay if we get a little bit touchy-feely in the next one? I mean, you can't be a bunch of middle-aged blokes and not talk about sex and all that kind of stuff. What if we talked about the one thing you need to know to be a great lover, Mr. Lover, Lover? I think Andy could go to town on the research. Well, um, yeah, as long as I, I, I'll just have to lift off the permissions on my uh, on my computer and get permission from my wife. But um, yeah, episode three on the Waggle Dance podcast, the one thing you need to know about being a great lover. Let's and, do it. Yeah. Are we talking Casanova or a lover of knowledge, though? Um, or will no, we? Casanova. Casanova. Casanova so to garner handy tips and techniques for bedtime antics? Yes, definitely. How about learning a new love language altogether? No, that's boring. Let's go back to the bedtime antics. All right, then. Well, do you want the short quote or the long quote? Go on now. Short one. Yeah. Is there any other? <laughs> we are asleep until we fall in love. War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy. Very good. Very good. Yeah, can, I, can I just say, I don't think you'll be asking me to write a book on the end of next week's topic. Like you did this <laughs> well, you could be relentless. Um, could be relentless. Yeah, maybe, so, that's um, the, maybe that's the one thing. Yeah. <laughs> relentless. Yeah. How about persistent? Yeah. 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 I tell you, you could write a song, Relentless Lover. Mm-hmm. You could. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't Phil Collins do that? No? Yeah. That's Easy Lover. Oh, it was Easy Lover. Okay. Yeah, there you go. That was the first record I bought my girlfriend who's now become my wife not the sound of silence then no and do you know what the weird thing is and people who are listening to this they might not realize this there is more in the bible about sex and love and romance than you would ever believe and imagine and there, i think there's some great tips so if there was ever somebody to find that for us duncan i think you're right. <laughs> i'll do it oh that's I'll good do it. hey look, do you know what this um if you've reached the end of listening to to three blokes talking about um the one thing about being a great boss well done i think you, you deserve a medal a promotion uh, or perhaps a beer um or a rest um but if you have found anything of use or of value uh, in the time you've listened to us um in this episode share it Tell somebody, uh, hit the subscribe button and we would love you to join us on the next episode. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. Thanks, boys. You bet. God bless you. Bye for now. We hope you've enjoyed our conversation and please do subscribe via iTunes, Spotify or your usual podcast provider so that you can catch every episode. Thanks for listening to the Waggle Dance Podcast and see you next time.